This morning we'll be in Romans chapter 15. We're one one week behind on the schedule if you're following that. Romans 15. If you'd like an updated schedule, you can go to our website and download one for free. Um, the the evening service schedule is correct, the one that you have, uh, the printout that you have. So you don't have to make any changes on that. Just in the morning, we're one week behind. So Romans 15 is where we will be this morning, verses 1 through 6. Apparently within the church at Rome, there was some disunity as a result of people expressing their personal liberties, which is why Paul takes these last two chapters that we've looked at, chapters 14 and 15, to talk about working toward unity. And the fact is that we all have differing personal convictions. And and it is legitimate to have dis- differing personal convictions. In fact, we, we, we have to guard ourselves against looking down on other people for having different, differing convictions. And we must not put a stumbling block in front of people that would cause them to sin or to turn away from God because we want to express our personal liberty. And that means that we cannot force our convictions on other people because our, we are captive to our own consciences. And that means that even if we are mistaken, we must obey our conscience. That when I'm talking about when I say mistaken, I'm talking about um, mistaken with regard to non or non-essential issues or disputable issues. I'm not talking about things that are essential to the gospel. Um, and so, if a believer is mistaken in in his conviction, then he, I hope you recognize that he can still do that action in glory to God. That. For example, with Paul saying you cannot eat meat or you can eat meat and the weaker believer saying you can eat meat, they can actually eat their vegetables and not eat meat to the glory of God because they and their conscience believe that that is right. Even though Paul knows that that is completely permissible of God for them to eat meat. And, uh, and, and so the point is, is that someone can be mistaken in their conviction and still give glory to God. We being right in our conviction, can also give glory to God. And the main point is that we must be able to thank God in whatever we do. But if we take our convictions, like Paul with the eating of meat, and force it on someone else who doesn't think that's right, then they actually will take part in that without being able to thank God in it, right? And that's a problem because now we've forced them to go against what they, um, what, what they believe to be right. And so what, what we saw last time was that we need to stay in our lane. We need to recognize that there are other people in the next lane. And we can't just, we may have the freedom to do certain things, but we need to stay in our lane and recognize you can't just move over into their lane and cause damage. We have the freedom to, to do various things and to have convictions, but we need to keep in view our brother's sanctification. What is it that's going to lead him to greater godliness? Not how can I express my liberty because I can do whatever I want type thing. I know this is right, so I'm going to do it. Well, actually, you in doing something that you know is right could actually be harmful to your brother. And then in that case, it would be wrong. It would be actually sinful and selfish of you to do that. So here in chapter 15, Paul wants to reinforce the idea of building and maintaining this unity by serving Christ through serving our brother. So let me read the text for us, beginning in verse 1. 
so that we can see what God has for us today. Romans chapter 15. This is the word of God. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproach, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Americans, we like having a sense of independence and the ability to express our personal liberties. But, as we'll see today, believers must work toward unity by serving other believers with edification, with a goal of edifying them, building them up. And, and we need to keep the sanctification of, of other people in view. And Paul wants to reinforce that point here in verses 1-6. through six. And so he gives the main command here in verses 1 and 2, and then he gives support for the command. So here's what we ought to do, verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 6, here's why. Or there, here's some things that will help you in that. Verses 3 through 6. All right, so first, the main command. There we go. The main command. The strong must bear the weaknesses of the weak. Our main responsibility is to serve the weak. Notice the text here in verse 1. It says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. The word bear here is a word that means to help carry a load. It's the same exact Greek word that's used in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Later on in that passage he says, Make sure that you're carrying your own load. So, so make sure you're taking responsibility for what you own and then look around to other people and see how you can help carry some of their load. Right? You've you got your own backpack that you need to carry up the mountain of sanctification, but then see what you can do to help someone else. That's part of our responsibility as Christians to look around and see how we can help other people carry their load, bear their weaknesses with them. This word here... Um, to, to bear does not mean to tolerate. doesn't mean simply, you know, just kind of get along with it. They got their load. Well, well, I don't really like how they're carrying it or what it is or how big it is. And it's not the idea. It is, I'm going to help carry them. It's, it's, it's the idea of, of welcoming them, of, of accepting them as a brother and sister, not of kind of disdaining them. How, how dare they have that kind of a load? But, but rather saying, listen, I want to come alongside and, and help bear this with you. Notice the object of this load-bearing. It is those without strength in verse 1. Those without strength. It's, it's really one Greek word. It comes from one Greek word that means incapable. Those who are incapable. That is, they don't have the ability at this point in their Christian lives to be able to see what you see. They don't see that it's right at this point in their life that eating meat is okay. Like Paul's example uh, in chapter 14. So instead of pressuring them, you know, they, they've, they've got their mindset of what is right before God. Instead of pressuring them and say, get over here and eat meat. 
Instead of pressuring them or forcing them to change, we, we say, you know what, I'm going to help bear that load with you. I'm going to help bear that difficulty, which, which in our case is going to result in, in some cases, an annoyance on our part. Because we want to eat meat in front of that person. Okay, This is obviously in this context. I, I don't think this is an issue uh, in, in today because I don't think someone's going to be drawn away um, in our day from this kind of thing. But in this day, remember that these people are turning from a whole Mosaic law, a system that required that they did not eat certain meats, and then also that, that these meats were being sacrificed to idols, right? That was the point. And so these believers are saying, well, if they're being sacrificed to idols, I cannot eat it in good conscience before God. And Paul's saying, yes, you can. But I'm not going to force that on you. Okay, I know that it's right before God. But, but I'm going to actually uh, incur some difficulty on my part by, by not eating meat uh, in your presence so that I can help carry this weakness with you. That's what it means to bear the weakness. It means to help carry their load. The description here at the end of verse 1, it says, And not just please ourselves and not just please ourselves. We need to bear our brother's weakness, and if we're going to do that, it requires our self-deprivation. If you're going to bear the weakness, if you're going to, I mean, just think about the backpack illustration, right? If you're going to help carry their load while you're also carrying your own load, it's going to require you to give up something that you otherwise would have had, which is a little bit less weight, a little bit easier of a walk up the mountain of sanctification, but now you're actually helping carry their loads. You're giving up some, some of your own personal rights, your own personal self-pleasure. I mean, how, how would families really operate if, if we didn't do this kind of thing within our own families? Right? What if a mom decided, I'm only going to cook meals that I like to eat? Right? And they can just deal with it. Never take into consideration what kind of tastes and, and joys and pleasures they get from eating what pleases their husband or kids, but, but only what, what's important to me. And you know, that's why family life is so great, because we have individuals who are willing to give up things that they otherwise have the right to in order to benefit the whole family, right? And we all do this in various ways, and we love that about our families. And what Paul is suggesting is that we need to do the same kind of thing in church. We have the right to do certain things, but, but it would be better for the sake of the whole group for us to give up some of those things so that, so that um, we would help bear their weaknesses. Not, not for our own self-pleasure, he says there at the end of verse 1. And that means that sometimes we're going to have to forego a certain activity that our conscience allows so that we can be in de- live in deference to the weak whose conscience does not allow it. You see, if we have... Let's just take one activity. In this case, Paul's using the example of eating meat. But um, this one activity looks two different ways to do two different groups of people. Right? To the strong, it looks like Christ is allowing this. We're allowed to do this. It's okay to do this. And clearly that's the right position. Their conscience allows them to eat the meat. But, but when, the un- when the weaker believer looks at it, they, say, they, they see it completely differently. My conscience does not allow me to do that. And it would actually cause me to turn from my faith if I, if, I, if I partake in that. 
And so the point is that the, the strong can continue to operate as a believer even though he doesn't take part in this thing that his conscience allows. And so what he needs to do is live in deference to the weaker brother who cannot do it. So if there's going to be common ground, the common ground would not be the weaker brother partakes of the meat. The common ground would be the, the stronger brother just doesn't do it because his conscience allows him to not do it as well as to do it. And so that's why we have to, to look at that. Our, our privileges or our liberties in that way. You see, if we're most concerned about pleasing ourselves, then we're not going to, to care about the weak. We're just kind of bulldoze our way through life as a Christian. We don't care what kind of weight follows behind us, right? We don't, know, we don't care what, what that's going to do to other people. And, and what, what we need to do is, is to form convictions, hold fast to our convictions, make sure that they're being formed by the Scriptures, but then make sure that we know how those decisions and how those expressions of those convictions will affect other people. And that requires that we look beyond ourselves and to our brothers. So let's uh, think about how we can describe this. Um, how we can describe this. Verse 2 is described as pleasing our neighbor. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good. So how can we describe helping the weak or serving the weak? And here's a way that we can describe it positively. It is helping our neighbor or pleasing our neighbor. Jesus taught us in Luke 17 to love our neighbor through example. Through the parable of the Good, good, good Samaritan, but also through the example of Jesus' life, he showed us how to be a good neighbor. And in that case, in Luke 17, Jesus was using the word neighbor to refer to anyone that comes in our path. And we need to just show love to them. But here, Paul is not using neighbor in that way. Instead, he's talking about the path that we have as believers within our church. So, other Christians. And he's saying, in this case, show love or work to, for the sake of the pleasure of the weaker believer. What does that look like? Well, look at the end of verse 2, and it shows you. It is to build them up for their edification. It says, uh, for his good, to his edification. So another way to describe what his good is. So what is good about it? We just want to just give him, let him just kind of put his feet up. We'll feed him the grapes and fan him and things. No, it's, it's, it is to build him up for the sake of truth. Paul, Paul is saying that, that, that he wants to see them edified. The word edify or edification means to build up or to strengthen Right. Well, here's how Paul uses it in Ephesians 4:29. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who need. That's what edification is. It's building the person up. It's thinking, okay, what can I do to help build that person up in the faith? And in this case. Their conscience is bothered by this activity that I'm engaging in, so I'm not going to do it in front of them. I'm not going to engage in it because I don't want them to, to, to be torn down in the faith or to, to, I don't want to cause a stumbling block for them. So this is the opposite of causing a stumbling block, right? It's saying I'm going to do something that will help build them up. And this will actually result in the edification of the church as a whole. And, and so our goal is to do what God is doing in their lives. What is it that God's doing in the life of every believer? Romans eight twenty nine. It is that they would be conformed to the image of His Son. 
And so now we come to church and to our church gatherings, and when we meet with people apart from the, the, the formal gatherings, we come to meet with these people, and when we do, we have the goal that God has, which is to con- see them conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So we seek to build them up for the purpose of edification. There's an example of this command that Paul uses in chapter 14 that I've already um, pointed to, and that is the example of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So what would happen is these pagans would take this meat and sacrifice it, much like the Old Testament um, the Old Testament saints would do. They would take the, the, the animal, sacrifice it, in a, but in this case it would be to a false god in a temple of some kind, a pagan temple, and then after they would sacrifice the meat, the, the, it would be sold, taken to the marketplace and sold to people. And it could just be sold to any person. And so Paul's saying, you know, and so these believers are saying, well, what happens if I'm buying meat that had been offered to idols? Some of it might not be, but what if it is? I can't do that to the glory of God. And Paul's saying, listen, Jesus, ma- Jesus made all foods clean. I know that. But, but I'm not going to try to convince you of that or persuade you or, or try to force that on you. Instead, I'm going to show deference to you so that you do not do something that's against your conscience. Now, it's not wrong for them to come to the right conclusion at some point and have their consciences trained uh, and for us to have engage in good discussion. But, but, but he's saying, listen, I'm going to give up what's rightfully mine for the sake of you and your personal sanctification, your personal growth and godliness. Now, we might look at that and say, well, isn't that a sign of weakness on the part of the strong? I mean, for him to give up what's rightfully his, he's kind of showing that, that he's weak. And I would suggest to you that it's not a sign of weakness as much as it is a sign of love. That it defers what is rightfully mine, like the mom who's cooking the meals, right? She rightfully has the choice of being able to make only the meals that she likes. But she gives that up for the sake of her family. And we need to do the same with regard to uh, the things that are rightfully ours ours with regard to our expressions of freedom. In fact, we see this example in Christ. Notice in verse 3 that the effect of Christ's example that it has on our willingness to serve the weak. Verse 3 says, For even Christ did not please Himself. So here's the command, remember. It is to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Verse 1, Don't please yourself, but your neighbor. And this is what Christ did. Here's the example. Look at the example of Christ. If we think serving the weak is too far below us, then we should consider Christ. Because even He did not come to the earth to please Himself. He gave up what rightly belonged to Him in order to serve the needs of others. I mean, think of the time when He washed the disciples' feet. As the King of the universe, He rightfully could have put His feet up and demanded that they wash His feet. But instead, He gave up what was rightfully His in order to serve them, in order to care for their needs. And that's really what He came to this earth to do. Mark 10.45 The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Paul here in verse 3 points to a specific example of of, uh, of service in Psalm 69.9. He says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
that Christ bore the reproach that he didn't deserve. He rightfully could have avoided that reproach. But he gave that up and and instead accepted the reproach that belonged to us so that he could serve us. And so the implication for us is, listen, our weaker brother, he, he may not have it right in his conscience, but that's okay. I'm still going to serve him. I'm going to suffer reproach. I'm going to give up what's rightfully mine for his sake. Just like Jesus did. He, he, gave the, he gave up the right to avoid all that reproach and just live a life uh, of, um, of being served. He gave all that up in order that he might serve us. And so for Paul's readers, they should think in these terms. If Christ was gil- willing to give up his freedoms to serve us, would it really hurt us that much to give up one of our personal freedoms that we know we can do? Would it really hurt us that much to give that up for the sake of our brother? If Christ did all that, like for these believers in Rome, is it so big of a deal for you to give up your hamburger at your church potluck? If Christ gave up all of those rights that he had for the sake of serving us, how could we not be willing to serve our brother? And the point is that when we do this, it will mean that inconvenience on our part. Giving up personal rights is not easy. It's not pleasurable, right? Verse 2, not to please yourself, or at the end of verse 1, it's not to please ourselves, it's to please them. Seek the, the needs of others and come to meet those needs. The effect of Christ's example on our willingness to serve should motivate us. Verse 4, the effect of the Old Testament on our willingness to serve. In addition to the example of Christ, we also have Old Testament instruction that speaks to our willingness to serve. Now, clearly, we're not under the Old Testament Mosaic Law, but everything, notice verse 4, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So why were the Old Testament Scriptures written? One of the purposes was for our instruction, for our benefit. So this should have some kind of an impact as far as illustration and God's command and His nature. It should have some kind of an impact on how we live. And notice the value of the Old Testament here in verse 4. It helps us to continue on in the faith. The second part of the verse says, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. The implication is that by nature we don't have hope. That by nature we are hopeless people. We lack endurance. And so we need motivation toward greater holiness and faithfulness. And the Old Testament Scriptures help us in that way, don't they? I'm so thankful for the studies that we've been able to have in in the Old Testament, and especially the study in 1 Samuel that's just helping helping me to put some flesh on some things that, that I've been thinking about for a while with regard to commands and how do we treat people and how we treat God and and. and that's what the Old Testament is like. As we go to study it and read it, we, we understand that it's for our benefit, for our perseverance to help us to grow in hope. Fourthly, the effect of, the, the effect of prayer on our willingness to serve the weak. So the, the command is serve the weak. The effect of Christ's example, the effect of the Old Testament example, and then the effect of prayer. Paul here moves to a prayer in verse 5. So he's given an exhortation. You bear with the weaknesses of the weaker believers. 
And now he, he prays that God would help them in this. Look at verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jude Christ Jesus. Paul knows what we know, which is that unless the Lord empowers believers to bear the load of the, weak, the weaker brothers, then they serve in vain. We give up all of our rights in vain if we don't implore God to help us in this task. We can do nothing that is good apart from God. We cannot live in harmony as a church apart from God's help. And so we ought to do what Paul does, and that is pray for God's unity. Pray for the Spirit's unity within this church. Notice this last phrase, according to Christ Jesus in verse 5. Just as Christ Jesus gave up His personal freedoms in exchange for His service of us, so we need to have the same mindset. That Christ came and, and He served people who were unworthy of His care, and we need to serve people who are, in our minds sometimes you might think they're unworthy, but they're actually worthy because they are saints of God. They're people who are made in the image of God, and they actually do deserve our, our care. The effect of prayer on our willingness to serve the weak. And then finally, verse 6, the effect of our primary goal on our willingness to serve the weak. In verse 6, Paul continues in his prayer and with this great purpose that we always ought to have in view, and that is that God be glorified. We must make the Lord's priorities our priorities. So may God do these things, verse 6, so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to whom is Paul speaking? He's speaking to a congregation of believers in Rome, and he's saying so that you all, with one accord, will with one voice glorify God. You're not just kind of compartmentalizing your church. you know. So you have some people who have different ideas of what freedoms they can do over here, and they praise God over here, and then another group who disallow those kinds of things and they praise God over here. He's saying, no, I want you all come together despite your differences and love one another like Christ loves you and, and, and do it all for the one purpose, the one common purpose of glorifying God. And that is what we live for. That is what God made us to do. The Holy Spirit has, has established this unity within this body and within each body of believers. He, he set a baseline of unity that he, that, that he has established. And, and so any kind of disunity or division or discord is not of God. Because God is not a God of disorder, 2 Timothy 1. And, and we know that the, that the Spirit has established this and this unity and has, is working to, to maintain it and build it up because of Ephesians 4, 3, which says, that we ought to, we believers ought to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we're preserving something that the Spirit has already established. If we don't preserve it, the opposite is that we're destroying what He's established. That's discord. That's dissension. That's strife. That's why God hates strife so much. All right, these six six things the Lord hates. The the passage from Proverbs six we read, we read last week. You know, and one of those things is those who spread strife among brothers. God hates that. And so we must guard ourselves against that. Instead of, instead of tearing down what the Spirit is unifying, we need to build up and, and be complicit with what the Spirit is doing. 
And so the ultimate purpose in bearing our burden and giving up what's rightfully ours for the sake of my brother is not for my brother. The ultimate purpose is for my God. It's so that God would be glorified in me. I mean, how many churches have you seen die because they didn't keep the main thing the main thing? They diverted their focus to non-essential squabbles and spent all their time and energy trying to get their own way instead of working to build up what God had already established. Working to build up the body of Christ. So our primary goal is to glorify God. And and if we're going to do that, we must pray to God for His help that He will empower us to be complicit with the Spirit, to serve the weak, that we would do that with the help of the Old Testament and the example of Christ. Alright, so let me give you a few principles to to consider this morning. Number one, pleasing God by pleasing others promotes harmony. Pleasing God by pleasing others promotes harmony. There's nothing inherently wrong with pleasing ourselves. Notice verse 1, I like how the NASB puts it, and not, at the end of the verse, and not just please ourselves. There's nothing inherently wrong with with pleasing ourselves. But if that becomes our main goal in life, we have failed spiritually. We need to seek ultimately to please God by pleasing others. That doesn't mean just give them everything that they wish, even if it's sinful. That's not what Paul's calling us to do. But the, the point is, is that if it comes down to a choice between pleasing myself and pleasing my neighbor, then I seek to please my neighbor. I seek to please my weaker brother or my stronger brother. A church that seeks to please itself primarily or a church made up of people who, seek, who are seeking to please themselves primarily cannot please God. Cannot please the Christ by whose blood we were bought. Christ had the right to please Himself and yet He did not so that we would be saved so that we would be benefited from his giving up of his right and so how can we go on pleasing ourselves primarily even Jesus gave up what was rightfully his and did not please himself first of all but sought to please others so if we want to see harmony in this group if we want to see the spirit continue to do what he has already established here which is unifying this body then we need to please God by pleasing others secondly The source of our unity is God. Notice what Paul does here in verse 5 again. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. So who is it that grants us to be of the same mind? It's God. That's who we go to. And so if if we're going to have unity, we have to recognize it can't be manufactured. You know, just do this thing and do this idea and this program and all these. And if I sing this song, there's going to be unity. No, unity is going to be sourced in God. What is it that God wants us to do? Finally, the means of our unity is the word and prayer. Let me just draw your attention back to verse 4. The means of our unity is the word and prayer. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. So how is it that we have this hope? How is it that we we have this common bond with one another? 
And the answer is that it comes through, first of all, verse 4, the word, that, that the perseverance and encouragement that we need to continue on in the faith happens when we bathe ourselves in the word, when we submit ourselves underneath the word of God. Isn't it interesting here that, that in verse 4, it doesn't say, let me just read the verse again, for whatever was written in the earlier times is written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement from God, we might have hope. Now, that would be completely correct to say it that way, but he says, instead he says, the encouragement, the perseverance and encouragement that comes from the Scriptures. And so the means by which God is going to give you perseverance, He's going to keep you on the path towards righteousness, that He's going to keep us on that path, is the Word of God. We cannot get away from the Word of God. We desperately need it, and we also need prayer, and that's why Paul turns in verse 5 to pray. That if, if this unity is going to come, if this harmony among people who have differing views on non-essential issues, if this harmony is going to come, then it has to come from God through His Word and prayer. And so we need to pray in this way. We need to just make this a regular part of how we pray for one another. Lord, I pray that You would guard us from division. Lord, I pray that You would build up unity within our body, that You would harmonize our minds together around, around one common purpose of glorifying you to the praise of Jesus Christ. We must be willing to forego privileged freedom, the rights that we have for the sake of our brothers. That's Christian love. That's what brings about Christian unity. Let's pray. Father, thankful for salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, that He came to save sinners. Lord, we are our sinners. We needed to be saved. Perhaps there, are, there is someone in here who, who still hasn't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and so this effort towards harmony and towards building up the body of Christ uh, cannot be done and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Lord, I pray that you would open their minds and their hearts. May you soften them to the truth of the gospel and recognize the, the great urgency there is of turning from their sins to believing in Jesus Christ and recognizing that His finished work is all that they need to be saved. Lord, I pray that you would do that today. For the rest of us, Lord, we have a responsibility to, to unify, to to be complicit with the work the Spirit is already doing within us, which is to, to bring us together around a common purpose. And Father, you know that, that for churches like ours, especially that has been, been around for a number of decades, it's very easy to lose our focus on what is most important. So we pray that you would help us to continually uh, be brought back to what is the main thing, what our main responsibility is, to glorify you by fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples of the people in Royal Oak and the surrounding area and of all nations and baptizing them and teaching them everything that you have commanded, but not just teaching them, but teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Lord, help us in that responsibility. We don't want to upset or to, to divide what you have put together. So, Lord, we ask for your help. May you, the God, of peace and and of perseverance and encourage bring encouragement bring about for us unity and hope. Don't let us despair in this 
race of the Christian life. Don't let us give up or, or move over to the sidelines, but, but rather be faithful in following you and helping our brothers along the way to help carry their load, bear their weaknesses with them. Lord, we need your strength, and we cannot do it apart from you, so help us, we pray in Jesus' name.